Go, baby. Hello, my friends. Hello, my life warriors. Wherever you are in the world, welcome to the Day In, Day Out podcast. Woo! Today on episode <laughs> 291, I'm very lucky to have, privileged to have Matthew Dickerson. Now, yes, he is, um, he is founder, advocate for, like, well, like advocate for schizophrenia. Uh, he did find uh, MindAid, which is an organization which does a lot of work with mental health around the world. And yes, he has also did a little bit of bike riding in his time. Just a little, just a little. <laughs> Matthew, how are you today, sir? Great, thanks. Thanks for having me on your show. Yeah. Now, look, the subject matter we're covering and uh, like you know what i mean with regards to like schizophrenia mental health okay like yeah like if you didn't suffer from it i would be one to go are you crazy because 5514 kilometers what is that <laughs> it's a long way <laughs> yeah yeah, and you've done that distance on a bike. Would I be right in saying that? Yeah, yeah. I biked across Canada when I was twenty. It's uh, seventy-two hundred kilometers. <laughs> well, there you go, people. Have a great day. No, <laughs> okay. No, I have to. I have to get that out. I have to get this out of the way first because. What was your driving force to do this? Well, I, I've i thought about that for years. You know, why did I do that? It's not something that obviously most people do. And I, uh, throughout my teen years, there was a little sort of nagging in, in the back of my head thinking, you know, I could be out doing more things like going out exploring more. Uh, I'm, I live on the seashore. There's beaches to explore mountains and land and lakes to explore and I never really did a lot of that in my youth and I was never really uh sort of a leader I never I was I wasn't the type to say to my friends corn guys let's go over here and do this and organize that stuff I just sort of followed along with what they were doing and I had fun you know played golf and shot basketball hoops watch movies it's fine but there's this, there was this little nagging voice saying Matthew like there's the beaches and places to go anyway I didn't do anything until the middle of university, I was uh, sort of, I was taking engineering, but I wasn't really fully enjoying it. And then this uh, article uh, that my mom had clipped out a year earlier, uh, I just put it away in my drawer, paper article, uh, newspaper article. And a year later, I was going through it and I read the headline again and it said, you can pedal across Canada. And it's an organized trip. They do it every year uh, and it's called Tour to Canada. I, and I signed up for it. And inside, I was thinking, Matthew, what are you doing? You're not uh, really like an athlete. I mean, sure, you've done some sports and stuff, but you never trained for anything. And what are you doing? This is, it just came out of the blue. Anyway, I signed up for it. And they said, if you do the training April, May, and June, if you log 2,000 kilometers, uh, three bike rides a week in graduating increments, uh, you can do the trip in July and August. And anyway, it just one thing led to another. And I ended up getting out to Vancouver with my bike and started biking and ended up finishing it. So, yeah. Okay. You know what? 
like, yep, people like, okay, there's many ways you could have done this. You could have flown across Canada. You could have, like, well, if you really wanted to take in the scenery, you could have taken a motorbike, got in the car, taken the RV, but okay, cycling off on the off, just off on the whim. That says a lot about your character, sir. A lot about your character, indeed. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I uh, I talked to a guy who had paddled one of the Arctic rivers, I think Mackenzie, maybe, mm -hmm. uh, for so many weeks, and he said it, it was the same thing for him. It just came out of nowhere just came out of nowhere just decided to go and do it and that was the case for me i don't know why i i really don't know i still don't have some answers for that so but i love doing it and I've, I've always wanted to do the trip again but with mental health uh for many years and schizophrenia that uh i wasn't able to do the things that i wanted to do so mm. uh anyway here's hoping that i'll be able to do something like that again <laughs> I I believe you will. I believe you will. Like I have to like what would you say you learned bef like what like before you did this and after you did this epic ride? Well, one thing I learned is about pacing myself. Mm -hmm. Uh there'd be days where I'd have a burst of energy and I'm like, "No, Matthew, you may want to pedal harder here cuz you're feeling good, but you've got another 100 kilometers or 80 kilometers to go for the rest of the day. And then another day after that, and another day, and another day, and many more days, just pace yourself. Just It was about uh, saving my energy. And that actually came in handy for when I got schizophrenic because I had to pace myself and what I took on each day too. Mm -hmm. The other thing I learned was there's always, I always had a way out. I signed up for the trip. I could have easily just said, no, I'm I'm just not going to go out to Vancouver. I signed up. I paid $100 to secure a spot, but I didn't have to go. I got out to Vancouver. And, okay, I'm out here, but I can easily just fly home. And I biked the first day. I think it was about 100 kilometers the first day. I'm like, well, you know, I could go home after this. And the next day, I could just go home. In the middle of the ride, I could just, you know, flag down some of This is before cell phones, so we had no cell phones and no internet. So... I, uh, you know, I could have just flagged down a truck and said, take me to the nearest airport and I'm going home. <laughs> Every day I could have done that. Every day there's always a way out. I could have quit at any moment. I was not, I mean, technically I was committed. I wanted to do it. Mm. But it, just knowing you weren't forced to do it, it sort of made you realize, no, I want to keep going. I want to, I want to, I want to do this. So it's nice to have a way out. It's sort of like you always had a plan B. Mm. And when you say like a way out, like basically you're not, are you saying that in the way of you're not trapped in whatever position you are in life? There is always an escape route out of it. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. There's there's always other ways, even though you can't see them. Mm. So, yeah, and like this is the thing. Like you when you did this epic high, no doubt. But then two years later schizophrenia came like a calling like how like when you first like discovered you had it what was it like was it just like you drifted into it or is like one morning you just woke up and hey you've got schizophrenia well throughout university i had some symptoms creeping up but i this was the early 90s no one was talking about mental illness back then 
we learned about mental health in high school, health class. And I knew about psychology, of course, but mm. I didn't know about the clinical terms of anxiety and depression and, and all that sort of stuff. <clears throat> so, but, so I had some symptoms creeping up, but I could still do things. Like I could bike across Canada not feeling the best. Mm. I could get mostly A's in engineering. I was living on my own, get going, getting along fairly well financially and whatnot. But there was a, the end of university one day I started to have some suicidal thoughts and I thought, well, that's not good, Matthew. You should get that checked out. So I went to the, the university health clinic. They took me to the local psych ward in the hospital and that was my introduction into the mental health system. So it, in the next few weeks or so, I just very quickly deteriorated. Uh, it, it, I went from muddling through life for about five years to just really in a horrible state. And it took me a long time to crawl back out of it. Mm. And like, basically when you say deteriorated, it's like, like what type of form of deterioration did that take? Well, with schizophrenia, 75% of people hallucinate, and those can be any of the five senses. Uh, they're, for the most part, relentlessly tormenting, but you can have some hallucinations that are actually quite pleasurable and enjoyable. Mm. I was in the 25% that didn't hallucinate. I had no problems with substance abuse. Never was very lucky. I did not have to worry about anything with that. And I voluntarily, I wanted to get treatment. I took my medication. I stayed on it. I never went off it. And, uh, but I, the symptoms I had were, uh, my vision was affected. It felt like I was watching things like on a TV screen. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel like I was in my life. I, I didn't feel like I was interacting with the people in my life. I could, I could still, you know, talk to you and have answer questions. And if you throw a ball at me, I would catch it. But it's, uh, I just felt very disconnected sort of visually. It's, I saw a show on Adrenaline Junkies and they have high dopamine levels, I believe. Okay. And they can, hand, they can handle a lot of things coming at them at the same time. Fighter, uh, jet fighter pilots, they, to be one, you have to pass a test. It's a video game that has things gradually happening uh, that you have to react, react to more and more on the screen. Mm -hmm. Everyone has a threshold where they say, ah, too much going on, I can't can't cope with all this and if you reach a certain threshold you can be a jet fighter pilot so they're usually they say quite calm and monotone when they speak they can just handle a lot of things coming at them at the same time for me i felt like my dopamine levels were shot and that is a, a drug they talk about with schizophrenia dopamine and i don't know exactly how it works but i felt like everything was coming at me just visually audio, just everything just bombarded by stimuli. I didn't see things coming at me. If mm. you asked me to paint what I saw in front of me, the room or wherever, I'd paint it exactly as you'd see it. But it, just, it was just this feeling of too much going on. Uh, someone asked me once, uh, does it feel like you're going crazy like all the time? I'm like, yeah, it does. It's uh, Everyone's had that feeling, like, ah, you, you sort of lose, your, lose control and there's too much going on. You're frustrated and and it feels like you're going crazy, for lack of a better term. And that's sort of what I felt like, like all the time. Because, wow, that's intense, to say the least. Plus, I had anxiety and depression, too. So. Mm. Because, like, one of the things, when you go, okay, every time you hear a TV show or whatnot, and they come across schizophrenia, it's like, yes hallucinations everything like this like to like go like so 
you know what I mean? I'm coming from a very sort of narrow, like looking through just a sliver of the door, not even looking through the keyhole and just like going, okay, that's all I get. But when you like go, yeah, you didn't hallucinate, like that that is one hell of a misconception, like a misconception most people are gonna have. Like, are there other misconceptions apart from not just hallucinating? Yeah, one of the big ones is, well, just uh, just before that, uh, some other symptoms that are common, uh, disorganized thinking, it's hard to think straight. One part of your brain does think properly, like today, I think I'll go for a walk at such and such time. Mm. I think I'll have pancakes for breakfast. There is a part of your brain just ticking along just fine. But another part of your brain is just bombarding you with thoughts and just... Uh, it's like your brain's going a mile a minute. It's hard to uh, organize things in your head. And that's one of the things I'm enjoying, enjoying now is I'm, I'm able to have more organization in my thoughts and just be able to think about things like in categories or parallels between things, which actually makes it easier to make humor. Humor relies on a lot of comparisons that are kind of related, but not. And it's hard for me to, to make jokes. But one of the biggest misconceptions that I'd like to see changed is the fact that people, uh, for example, when I was at my worst in the 90s, a lady with schizophrenia had drowned her kids in the bathtub. Mm. And then later on in Saskatchewan, Canada, a man had beheaded a guy on the bus um, and he had schizophrenia. And when that's all you hear, you don't hear about the millions, millions, millions of other people with schizophrenia who aren't violent. There's so many of us out there who, who don't want to hurt anybody. And if we do want to hurt anybody, it's ourselves. And so what the stats are, it, it wasn't until the early 2000s and I heard the stat of people with schizophrenia are no more prone to violence than the rest of the general population. And I breathed a sigh of relief when I read that. I'm like, oh, wow, thank you. Because I, I, I was worried for years that I might hurt somebody. I never thought about that. I never mm -hmm. wanted to hurt anybody. But I was confused. And I, there was just a stat of, I thought the people with schizophrenia might become violent. And I was terrified that I might be like that. I never planned to or wanted to or anything like that. But when I read that stat, I'm like, oh, thank you. I guess I don't have to worry about that anymore. And I would have loved to have known that stat from the very get-go. It, it would have just made my life easier. Oh, geez. One less thing to worry about. <laughs> yeah, no. And uh, yeah, so there is a stat, the British Columbia in Canada, the, their schizophrenia society has said that uh, people with untreated schizophrenia can sometimes there there can be a bit more violent, and I don't know what that stat is. They mm -hmm. say people in the general population, uh, two percent of the general population, is violent, and that that doesn't mean they're all murderers. They can be uh, violence is actually difficult to describe. There's psychological violence, kicking, biting, scratching, bar fights, all sorts of things. The rate of homicide in Canada is one person per one hundred and fifty thousand people per year. So it's pretty darn low. It's not two percent. Uh, so that so people with schizophrenia are, have the same rate of violence, two percent, the same as the general population. But I don't know what the rate of untreated schizophrenia violence rate is. Is like that the British Columbia Schizophrenia Society said is that three percent, five percent, ten percent? I don't know what it is. I'm trying to figure trying to figure out what it is. So yeah, I'm, I'm guessing it's fairly low. I'm not, not like fifty percent or anything. I would imagine also like it's one of those things with schizophrenia like okay if if it's in a form like yourself with no hallucinations or anything like this 
Uh, it must be like there must be a large number of people who are just walking around thinking I'm just having like, yeah, going through a bad period and they don't actually have it actually treated or diagnosed. It's just like like everyone has that sort of negative critic which lives in their head and they think it might just be that's that's just the negative critic going off in my head, not necessarily being diagnosed or like have treatment available to them because they just don't know, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's tough. W one thing I'd like to do is there's a, there's a group called uh, Students with Psychosis. Uh, mm -hmm. Cecilia McGow founded that. She's in New York City. Uh, she's got a TED talk called I Am Not a Monster Schizophrenia. And that's another... Uh, she made that TED talk, I think, in 2015. And I thought, wow, 2015, and we're still using the word monster with schizophrenia. I mean, she's trying to dispel that myth, but it's like, wow, we're still trying to dispel that myth. Even here, me in 2023, still trying to dispel it. Yeah. It's, uh, but anyway, she, when COVID first happened, they started posting uh, in, in the, their, on their Facebook page, group uh, photos of their Zooms. So for the first time in my life, I started seeing, photos of people with the exact same thing as me i hadn't seen that i i've met very few people with schizophrenia in my life and i've seen hardly anybody in the media with schizophrenia and i was seeing dozens and dozens of photos and they were university students so younger than me uh and i'm like oh my gosh this is what we look like i didn't even know what we looked like people with dementia we've been seeing people with dementia we everyone knows somebody with dementia they've been in the movies maybe not portrayed accurately, but they're all sort of, you know, not harmless. They're very harmless sort of uh, people who can't remember things. And we we see that. We, we know what a person with dementia looks like. Mm. But for me, I didn't even know what we looked like. And I was seeing all these photos and, and they were saying, you know, I'm studying astronomy. I'm studying geology. These are my interests. They all look like just normal people in the population with a wide, wide, wide variety of interests and personalities. And one of the things I'd like to do is get like a nice coffee table book made, a portrait book with just portraits of people with schizophrenia. Like, this is what we look like. This, this is what we look like. Or, or a video with uh, photos of people uh, to show people what we look like. We're not monsters. No, but it's... And, and, and we're in your community. 1% of the population globally has schizophrenia. We are in your community. We're serving you at Tim Hortons. We're doing all sorts of things we're working with you we're at school with you we're all around you and you don't even know we have it no for the most but, part yeah but like this is the thing with regards to <clears throat> humanizing mental health like it's one of those things where okay you mentioned you had depression and anxiety right like with regards to depression and anxiety in let's if we do it the hollywood thing it's like those are the okay yeah oh sexy but kind of safe mental illnesses which they can like put up there for a little bit and then not really do anything about it when it comes to like say something like schizophrenia it's like um mm, as you mentioned with the news reports which that comes up and if they going to portray someone as the bad guy in anything in Hollywood, schizophrenia is going to be connected with that person murdered this and uh, 
you know what I mean, with that sort of negative connotation. Am I making myself clear? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, uh, the movie, the movie, A Beautiful Mind with Russell Crowe was a real game changer for uh, people with schizophrenia. It was finally a movie movie that was portraying it in a much better light. Mm. Uh, there's a there's a YouTuber in Saskatchewan, uh, Alberta, Canada, uh, Lauren Kennedy. Uh, her YouTube channel is called Living Well with Schizophrenia. Great resource, tons of videos, uh, very professionally done uh, about schizophrenia. Really enjoy her channel. She did a review of the movie A Beautiful Mind and her take on things they got right, things they didn't get right. But overall, it was a really big change from the way we used to be portrayed in movies. So I'm hoping more movies like that will come along, uh, more films, people portrayed in them in, on TV shows. So, yeah, here's mm. hope. Yeah, you know what? I like. I hope you like do produce that coffee book because like this is the thing. Uh, when like anything like this, when you can truly humanize something like this, that's when it sort of makes a real sort of impact and change uh, for how how that condition is perceived and yeah, what help can be offered rather than you know what I mean. Yeah, like the Humans of New York book with uh, I forget his name, Brendan. Uh forget his name but uh the humans he, he takes photographs of people in new york city mm. and he writes a little few paragraphs about a story they have and people love it he's got millions of followers and you could do something like that uh the people with schizophrenia in new york or yeah. anywhere hey <laughs> you never know you never know here in canada but like yeah so with this how long like how long, like, would you say you're cured or would you say you are, like, you have so much of a control on it, it doesn't really make a significant impact on your life on the day-to-day? -day? Yeah, so I noticed an improvement in my health every single week. Mm -hmm. And it was just a long, slow, steady lineup if you plotted it on a graph. And I'm, it was February 11th, 2021, and my symptoms stopped. And the next year and a half, I went through a state of sort of shock processing of just like, whoa, like, did I just actually get through that? I actually had time to think. I had sentences that had punctuation at the end of them that weren't run on sentences. <laughs> I had I had peace and contentment, and I still have that today. And I, I don't know the exact term you'd want to use. I write down that I successfully recovered, recovered from schizophrenia. Mm. People describe their own recovery in different ways. Some people might not agree with that. I don't say I'm cured. You could say I'm finally managing my disease. I still take my medication. I plan to take it for a long time until maybe they do find a cure someday. You never know. Okay. But uh, I basically, I pop a pill. I try to live a healthy lifestyle. And yeah, that's that's my life. So it's uh, I, I feel pretty darn good these days. Very happy about that because I didn't know if I'd ever get that. Mm. And... For some reason, I have, and I'm, I'm, and I want to hold on to it. I'm, I want to keep living a healthy lifestyle. Le keep living a healthy lifestyle. I don't want to get stressed out and get sick again. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. And like this is the thing. Like, why, like, why you've been talking about this to the world and everything like that? Like, what have you been finding? Like, apart from your journey, but other people sort of coming to you and. Have they been discussing their stories and what they've been going through on a sort of day-to-day -day basis? Yeah, so I 
didn't really reach out to a whole lot of people throughout most of my recovery. I was just too sick. I I mostly read books on how to get myself better. And then around 2010, I started reading books on how to help other people, like build a website, advocacy, public speaking, fundraising, raising awareness. But I never took action on that. I, I was reading books. And that's one thing I recommend to people. If you want to help other people, but you don't feel you have the the strength to do it, the confidence, the courage, the mental health, learning about it is one thing you can do for years. And, and that's helped that's helped me greatly in being able to, to do what I'm doing now. So in 2018, I made my website MindAid and I started putting myself out there on social media and reaching out to people. So some people have reached out to me with schizophrenia and I have conversations with them. I've been doing some Zooms with people, with family members of people with schizophrenia mm. and some people are struggling and it, it takes me back so long ago now, almost 30 years ago when I was just in that state of helplessness uh, too. It's uh, it's a very uh, terrifying, unknown place to be in. And I just feel glad that I can offer some hope to people. Uh, I, I didn't have a role model. When I was sick at my worst, I, I wrote that in my journal one day. I said, I have nobody, I know nobody who's gone through schizophrenia come out the other side. I know nobody. And I've, I wrote that in 1994. Mm. Um, it's, uh, I know they're out there people living good lives, healthy, happy. But uh, that's actually another thing I'd like to do is uh, find out people who are really just enjoying life and getting them to tell their story. Mm -hmm. uh, that, so it's, uh, and, and putting it putting it in a book or something. Yeah, because like, this is the thing, like the, and when you say role model and like, yeah, 1994, look, uh, the sort of stigma on mental health then was whew, let's just say it was if like people were like oh we talk about it was in a let's just say a dark dark place uh you know and was not healthy in any way uh but today as much as i would say yeah we are like we as a society are talking about mental health a little bit more it sometimes feels like Many a platitudes being said, but little action is being taken, if you get what I mean. Ah, you'll hear politicians like go mental health and this is the whole thing. Uh, we need to do better. But it's said, but no actions taken. Would I be right in saying that, like you being in like in the trenches trying to advocate, like being an advocate for like schizophrenia had you seen it in a different light or is it just a case of i just i'm wrong there's a man his name's shekhar saxena he's from harvard he spoke at the un and said that every country when it comes to mental health care is a developing country mm. so you could argue that there would be levels of a developing country's mental health care system like canada the uk their mental health care systems you could say would be better for the most part than some places in Africa, mm -hmm. but they're all classified as mental as developing countries, mental health care systems. There's a man in Nova Scotia, Canada, and in, in his area of Nova Scotia, he radically improved their mental health and addiction system. And he got wait times from five to eight months down to like three weeks or a week or less, plus many other things. He did it by focusing on the clients and not focusing on bureaucracy. 
That's how our systems are set up. Focus on bureaucracy and paperwork. Mm. He says, focus on the clients. When a client walks in the door, how many minutes is it before you attend to their needs? Do you get them to fill out long forms, put them in a waiting room, and then another waiting room before anybody talks to them? Things like that. And he wrote a book about it. It's called It's Not About Us. His name is Todd Leader, like leadership. And he, the book is how to transform the Canadian mental health and addiction system using his what he's already done in, in his area of Nova Scotia. And I would argue that other countries could probably follow the same guidelines, but uh, it's, it's written for Canada. But, and I'm not an expert. I don't know. Maybe other countries couldn't follow it, but I'm guessing they probably could. So I, I really try to tell, uh, to tell people about that book in, in other countries besides Canada, too. Mm, yeah. Ooh, like from months to weeks. That is a hell of an achievement. And like, yeah, uh, fighting the bureaucracy. Uh, oh, excuse me, teeth. <laughs> uh, fighting the bureaucracy on uh on a regular level. Like, would you have like, what is that like right now? It's like, okay, has it drastic? Like, apart from Nova Scotia, when you went discovered you had schizophrenia and then basically getting treated, everything like that. How long did that take you from like being like, oh yeah, diagnosis to like getting treatment? Was it instantaneous or not? So I've read that sometimes when people are sick in the hospital for anything, mm -hmm. uh, people often don't tell them what's going on. And they think, well, we don't want to burden them with this knowledge and we'll just, we just won't tell them. Mm. even though they're the ones sick and being treated. And they, you can understand why people do that. Uh, they say that sometimes the people, the patients can be, uh, feel left in the dark and it just adds more unknown to them. They don't know what's going on. And that was true with me. People didn't really tell me what was going on a whole lot. Mm. I knew some of the stuff that was going on. I still have questions, but well, why did I, you know, I, I walked, I went into the psych ward and that's one thing. There is that there was that facility right there. They I had psychiatrists looking at me and, you know, asking me questions, trying to diagnose me. I I got into a group home after that for three years after the psych ward. How did I get into the group home? I don't know. Uh, people just sort of say, here, go here, Matthew. I'm like, okay, why was I not homeless? I don't know. I it's uh I have some questions about that. How did I where did the funding come for me to be in the group home? I don't know. There was funding available. They just sort of say, go here, and I'm like, okay. So it's uh yeah, I, I don't really know, but uh I but you could I, I did to answer your question, I did get relatively early intervention. Mm. Uh within a matter of weeks. I was you know, fairly soon I was put on some medications. They tried me on six or seven of the 1960s antipsychotics, none of them worked for me. Then they tried me on one that, that had just come out that year in 1994. It worked. I stayed in it. I'm still in it today. But uh, I would say that I went to get help my very first year of university because I was low on energy. They sent me for blood work. Uh, it, it came back fine. And they sort of sent me out the door saying, focus on the future. So that's what I did throughout university. But I, I remember when I the disease first hit and I was in the hospital, I was thinking, why didn't I get help sooner for this? I, I, I wanted to have that drug in me earlier so that it worked faster. But would, would they have given me a drug if I was, you know, biking across Canada, able to do that sort of stuff, mm. getting A's in engineering? I was on the university rowing team. Would they have given me that drug? Would it have been too soon for that? I don't know. 
I don't know. Yeah, because like the way the way you're talking about it, it's. I have to ask, when you were good, like when you were diagnosed, everything like this. Did it feel like it was happening to you or like the other you? It, it felt like it was happening to me for sure. Yeah, there's there's always a sense of me. I will say that there's another way of thinking, I guess you could say, that it didn't really feel like me, mm. but it was always me. I was always there. It's uh, I was never not me. I, mean, I, I have I never blacked out. All the things that were said to me for years, I remember them. I mean, I'm, you know, 30 years ago, I've forgotten a lot, of course, like anybody else. Mm. But it's not like I, all those things that happened to me through university and the psych ward and the group home for all the years since, there's always me. It's always me there. Always. Always me taking in things. I just sort of thought about it differently as uh, it's, I wouldn't say like an out-of-body experience or anything. It's not that, but it's sort of like, it's uh, I just didn't feel like myself when people say, you know, they're sick, they've got a cold. Well, they're not feeling like themselves today. Mm. You know, someone's uh, down for whatever reason, maybe just in a bad mood or maybe they're, you know, they're, they've got cancer. They're deliver I mean, a woman delivering a baby, she's yelling obscenities at her husband. She's not herself. <laughs> she loves her husband. But right now she's in a lot of pain. <laughs> oh, trust me, I've, I've seen this firsthand. <laughs> Is that <laughs> yeah yeah no i get you i get you yeah so so i'm really just starting to feel like myself again in recent recently so it's uh you know starting to have my own my own mood my own personality my own thoughts it's uh so yeah but i was still there just like someone in a bad mood is still themselves but uh, i i know other people with mental illness they, they can black out. They don't remember stuff and they can act very differently. So I, I never, that, that, I wasn't like that though. So it was, uh, I, I did behave differently. I did think differently, but yeah. <laughs> because like, this is the thing, like when like going through all of that and like, you know what I mean? Trials, tribulations, not being able to like, when like, if you bring up an interesting point when like they went yeah look concentrate on the future and one of the things you said like yeah trying to picture the future becomes very difficult uh it, it to sort of go into that sort of like fog where like the future is not now it's just here and now to then come out of it to like go okay I'm going to start up Monday, like, you know what I mean? I'm going to, like, study. I'm going to, like, yeah, get that information out there. Like, is it, like, you're reawakening, or is it a case of you're just, like, ah, hello, Matthew. Where have you been all this time? <laughs> For me, I never really had any major... Um breakthroughs i guess you could say i had some sort of smaller ones but for the most part it was very small tiny gradual changes mm. people ask me why did i get into advocating for mental health well for years i started uh, helping other people uh, just in very small ways like donating to you know a, a charity in the office uh, mm -hmm. and uh, or people asking for a change at the you know 
students asking for change for their trip, their volleyball team to go somewhere on a trip, you know, people would ask me for money and I'd try to give it to them. I didn't have much, just, you know, I was making $40,000 a year or something. So I didn't have a whole lot to leave for other people, like many other people without income. But I was, you know, I sponsored a child in Ethiopia for years, uh, way before I was thinking about minding. And I was trying to do that because one of the things I was reading in all these books and how to get myself better was helping other people improve your own mental health. So was I doing it for my own my own sake or was I wanting to help other people? Um, I will say when I was giving money to sponsor a child in Ethiopia, I was thinking, you know, Matthew, I can't really enjoy this. Here's a check. I sent a check in the mail and there's the money. I just wrote and I was depressed doing it. Like here I am just writing a check. I was depressed all the time. Mm. And I couldn't really feel the the pleasure of helping somebody. And I missed out on that. But I still kept giving the money. I kept doing that. And one of the things I tell people is when you're sick like that, to keep doing things. Uh, I flew to Vancouver on my own when I threw up my recovery. I did things. And I was you know out in Vancouver. I'm like, you know, I'm depressed. I can't enjoy this. I don't want to do anything while I'm out here. But I suppose I'll go doing that. Go do something out here. So it's having doing something I wanted to do, but I tried to tell people, do those things anyway, even though you can't get enjoyment from them, something still registers mm. in you. I don't know how it works. You can't feel it, but in some way it does. You are out there doing things. You are doing things that you want to do. You're going after your goals. And yes, you may not be able to fully enjoy them, but keep doing them anyway. So anyway, it wasn't until... 2017 and I saw this TED talk by Vikram Patel and it was the first bit of content that I'd seen on mental health in developing countries. So I started learning more about it and then I made my website Mind Aid in 2018 and yeah. So it was never really a moment. Um, it was just sort of a gradual thing. I thought because for years I thought, well, well, my dreams are taken for me. I when I got sick with schizophrenia, I, I had one singular goal, get my health back get my life back. I just wanted to feel that I could, and I couldn't do the things I wanted to do. And as the years went on, I, I was able to do more things that I wanted to do as I got better and better and better. But uh, I, yeah, it's, uh, it just slowly kind of happened. Uh, I, I thought for years, well, maybe I might be able to speak at a high school about mental health. And I, I started getting more dreams back. But when I learned about mental health in developing countries and, and how to help, I thought, well, Matthew, if you're going to help anybody, it should be people in developing countries because they've got it worse than you. So that's what I've been focusing on since 2017, 2018. Mm -hmm. Would you, like, you mentioned earlier with regards to all nations, but according to the UN, uh, are all developing nations when it comes to mental health? Uh, earlier in our conversation, uh-oh, I may have lost you. Yeah, with oh ah oh, you're back yeah there you go uh as i said you mentioned earlier in our conversation according to the un all nations are developing nations when it comes to the regards to mental health now with regards to some of the thing like some of the stories which may have come out of like less developed nations say when it comes to mental health like what has there been like some rather shocking stories you've heard or has it been a case of everyone's kind of close or it's just, oh, there's so much work. Done. 
So you'll hear different stories. Like some people will say, and, and I, I've never been, I've never been outside of North America. So I'm, I'm not an expert in this. I, yeah. excuse me. Um, uh, my website minded is basically just a simple curation site. It has all the groups helping the cause on one site, and it's I'm not I'm not officially affiliated with any of the the groups helping. Mm. I'm just I'm just uh, I'm more promoting them on my own, and it's just me and a website and social media really. So, what from what I've read and, and seen from uh, studying this, uh, you'll hear different things. Like some people will say, well. People with mental illness recover faster in developing countries because they don't have all the stress of modern world. And uh, then you'll hear things like, well, people who are quite ill in developing countries, they don't have any treatment. So they just, they, they don't have anything. We have, we do have treatments here. They're not the best in some cases or delivered the best, but we do have resources here and other countries don't have anything. Mm. So you'll hear sort of that. You'll hear um yeah it's uh so i don't i don't know which way in what parts of the world which way is which but it's and i'm learning this as time goes on too i found 10 nonprofits that are delivering models of basic mental health care mm -hmm. these models are low cost proven effective and scalable and the world health organization is trying to figure out the best way to roll them out to the masses in the meantime these groups have been doing it for years helping thousands of people get back up on their feet it's, it, they're models of basic mental health care. It was, well, Vikram Patel in his TED talk, he said in the 90s, well, we've got these models of basic physical health care, documents on how to help someone treat a broken leg or, or all sorts of things where, where there's no hospital for hundreds of miles. How do you do that? Yeah. He says, why don't we do the same thing for, for mental health care? So he did. Now they've got these models of basic mental health care and I'm, I'm trying to tout these groups using these, and they're different variations. Uh, strong Minds, they use uh, group-based talk therapy to help women with depression in Africa. Fine Mind uses models of basic mental health care in Uganda. Uh, basic Needs US helps people in a number of countries. Uh, they've been around, Basic Needs was, has been around the longest. They were founded in 2000 by Chris Underhill. Uh, there's, there's other groups too. There's other groups that aren't, uh, so those 10 are groups that you can donate to. Uh, in the resources section of my website, there are more groups beyond that that you may not necessarily be able to donate to, but they are doing work in different ways. Uh, CBT Kenya, they're using cognitive behavioral therapy in Kenya. So there's there's all sorts. Uh, Tri Global, they use trauma recovery yoga in Iraq. They also want to work in Ukraine this year in 2023. So there are groups helping. It's vastly unresourced. And I would be happy if some of these groups, for example, were mainstream household names. A UNICEF. Who here has heard of UNICEF? Raise your hand. <laughs> We've all heard of UNICEF. Yeah. World Vision, Plan. Mm. Uh, there's all sorts of groups helping uh, in different ways. Can some of these other groups become household names? I think they could become household names. It's just a case of getting that, getting them in front of the world because like this is the thing like when okay when you say unicef world vision there's like yes there's a a very impact visual there when like you like oh this is what we've done in world vision we like yeah put up our hospital ship and we treat all of these people to help like cure their like vision um 
Oh, I think you've crashed out again. Matthew? Uh-oh. Have I lost you, Matthew? Uh, okay. Oh, you're, you're back. I, yeah. yeah. Can you hear me now? You, you no. for a sec. Yes. <laughs> I'm not too sure. We're, like The internet gods are fighting back. <laughs> it's like... I, like I knew I should have sacrificed that lamb, but that's another story. <laughs> but as I was saying, with World Vision, like, yeah, they will, like, pull up with a hospital ship to, like, yeah, cure all these people of their, like, like their, like, cataracts or whatever else their site. UNICEF, they'll, like, yeah, pull up, set up a camp, and they'll do everything on that side of things. When it's, like, when it's something like schizophrenia or mental health, it's not like one of those things which you can like oh you can rock up, do something really big and like have this impact right away. It is a thing what takes time. It takes a very long process. And it's not necessarily you mentioned group activities, but in certain parts of the world, that isn't actually feasible to do it. And like trying to like you mentioned 150,000 people, like a psychiatrist to 100 like 150,000 people in Canada but in other places in the world is like do they like what is that number it's most probably 10 times 20 times 30 times more you know like oh, there might be one person who does it in the country could be wrong yeah some countries are one psychiatrist per million people mm. and it's, uh yeah it's so the way they do it uh, is they use uh, uh, they they go into a community and they find some people with some basic leadership skills or for example maternal health skills some sort of capabilities and they teach them how to deliver this model of basic mental health care to members of their own community mm-hmm. and that's sort of the basic premise uh, strong minds they use group based talk therapy they get women in groups of eight or ten women mm-hmm. and they meet weekly for so many months and many of them are depression free after six months or so. I think that's the, I don't know if the status right in front of me, but a fairly short time. And it's, uh, it's, and they, th- those women can go teach other women how to do the same thing. So it's scalable and it, it works. It's proven effective. It's low cost, these models, and they're trying to uh, spread them to more and more people. So Sean Mayberry, who founded Strong Minds, He's trying to get other large groups, for example, like UNICEF, other groups already out there working on the ground, helping people in various ways to use these models of basic mental health care. So there is work doing it. And I'm, I mean, now that mental health is talked about so much more now, I'm thinking, well, if there's ever a time for mental health in developing countries to take off, you would think it would start to be now. <laughs> so I'm, I'm happy with my website. Uh, as far as I know, it's the only one of its kind in the world with all the groups helping the cause on one site. And I'm trying to promote that more. And uh, it's not, it's basically, like I said, just a curation site. I don't go into great depth on any one group or activity on the site. I mostly just steer people in a bunch of different directions. Um, another thing is there's hundreds of thousands of people, not millions, but hundreds of thousands, they estimate, in 60 countries who are kept in chains with mental illness. Robin Williams' son, Zach Williams, and Tim Shriver, founder of the Special Olympics, Alison Janney, the, the Hollywood actress from the Western TV show years ago, they're helping promote hashtag Break the Chains. The link's on the to- uh, at Mind Aid, 
mindday.ca, and they are trying to help unchain people with mental illness. Some people are tied to a tree, tied to a bed. Some of them have their foot through a log with untreated mental illness as well. And it, it's horrible. Mm. But there's ways these groups like Basic Needs US, they go into uh, places and they unchain people. There are people working on this. There are people being unchained, getting treatment. And it's happening every year. More and more people are being unchained. So it's, uh, there's a, at the hashtag Break the Chains website, there's a pledge people can sign. They're looking for 20,000 signatures. I would love if more people went and signed that to help them have more impact to unchain more people. That's one very simple thing people can do. Um, yeah. Wow. No, no, this is the thing. Like hearing that, it's one of those things which you go, <laughs> no, surely not. But as much as I would like to say, oh, I'm surprised. Uh, sadly, I, I'm not surprised right? because, like, look, there are parts of the world where, okay, when it comes to mental health, yes, it's quite medieval with regards to it's like their thinking. And like, this is the thing, I'm not gonna like, before anyone goes, oh, you're, you're about to get on your high horse or anything like this. No, but like, look, in like, if you, if you went back to the seventies or eighties in like the United Kingdom, Canada, like North America, like any part of North America, yeah. Huh, mental health, yes, you would be locked up just like not really with the realm of treatment to get you better, just like, yeah, keep you out of society, out of mind, out of sight. The 90s, you know what I mean? It was a step in the right direction. And they go, yeah, but things have got better. They have got better, yes, but they haven't also at the same time because it's still, as much as there shouldn't be a stigma with mental health and it's about like, should be about getting people treated and helping them get better so they can be a functioning member of society, just have a functioning life uh, that still has that stigma there. Or it's a case of if it doesn't have that sort of trendy mark, like because the amount of people that go, oh, I've had mental health issues and they've kind of belittled the fact that, no, you don't, you might be stressed, but you don't have true mental health issues when this person needs the help, but you're sucking up all the air in the room. Stop it. <clears throat> you know, like that's just me as a sort of casual observer. You know, I'm not in the trenches. I'm not like, you know, I'm not an advocate like yourself, but it's one of the things which I, as an observer, get sometimes frustrated with, you know? Yeah. Yeah. In Canada, I think in 2011, we had, uh, well, the Bell uh, Telecommunications uh, Company, they put out a, it's, it was called Bell Let's Talk. And mm -hmm. it was the first bit of mainstream media about talking about mental health. And for years, they had that every year, every winter, they had that one day where they uh, raise awareness and money for that. And it's like, oh my gosh, a company actually talking about mental health in mainstream, not whispering behind closed doors. Wow. That's what everyone did, whisper behind closed doors. So as the years went on, they kept having that. And slowly, uh, here in Canada and other countries too, we just started talking about mental health more. And then when COVID happened, we started talking about it a whole lot. So it's just to be just for us to be able to talk about this 
in mainstream conversation and not have to whisper it with people hmm. is a huge step for us. And still in COVID, yes, it started three years ago now. And three years, you could say, is a long time. But, well, to have all to all of a sudden just radically transform all our all, all our and improve all mental health care systems overnight. It's it'll take some time, but I'm just so happy we're starting this. There are more and more apps and people working on mental health. It's uh, and yes, you know, when the environment uh, cause gained more and more traction, you started hearing the terms of I think greenwashing. Is that it where people would say they're doing environmentally right stuff, but they actually weren't. And uh, just to be able, to, I was always thinking, well, wouldn't it be nice to to get to the point where mental health could sort of have some con- not controversy, but people not doing the right thing with mental health and saying they were because it might mean well we're there, we're sort of in the big leagues now. We're I know that's not right; it's not the right way to look at it, but it's it would probably happen anyway in whatever thing. So I'm I'm just I'm just I'm just I I know the future is going to get better. It's I'm, I just see that. Uh, our healthcare system will improve. Uh, Catherine Hayhoe, she's an environmental advocate. She says, so many people can't picture a positive scenario for the environment. We can all picture apocalyptic scenarios, but not a positive one. Mm. I've got an article on eco-anxiety where I try to paint a picture for people of what our future will look like and give hope to people. There is hope um, for the environment. But she says, you know, people can't picture a positive scenario in the future. So for for mental health, our mental healthcare systems, I'd like to give hope to people and try to paint a picture of our mental health care systems in the future where we'll be saying, I mean, for example, where I live, there's in one of the cities, there's a great cardiac unit. People say it's uh, great if you've got, if you have a heart, if you have a heart attack or need heart surgery, that's a great place to be. And sometime in the future, I'm hoping that we'll be saying, you know, we've got mental illness, go here, got a great system, great, great, great facility there. Great. They'll help you do a wonderful job there. And I, and, Hopefully there'll be more and more places like that around the world where people can go in, get treatment and maybe even find cures. There are people, there are people, thousands of people around the world, armies of people working on a cure for you, for you listening right now. They're working on a cure for you today. They're in the lab right now, going on, working on something, researching something for you. So I'm I'm just saying, we all say, you know, our mental health care systems aren't good. Well, it's, uh, I'm trying to say, well, these are our mental health care systems. Let's try to build them up and not put them down. Use the positive imagery of like, you know, let's, let's make them better. Let's make them better. Let's, let's uh, have them evolve. Let's do this work and get them functioning better. And instead of poo-pooing things all the time, it's like, well, let's, let's try to make them better. How, what can we do to make them better? Indeed, indeed. So, I know what you're doing to make things better, but where would you like your sort of journey goals to be, say, over the next, say, three to five years? I would like to raise more money for these groups already helping on the ground, give, getting people basic mental health care. I will I will still be an advocate for schizophrenia for the rest of my life. I, I want to keep doing that. My main focus is people with mental illness in developing countries because I think they have a worse than than i ever did here in canada mm. so i'd like to raise more money for them i i want to build i want more people to know about them all these groups helping the cause they've been out there for years doing the work i just want to help build their capacity and promote them more at some point in the future i may have my own nonprofit or social business with people underneath me 
delivering models of basic mental health care on the ground. I may be able to do that someday after reading on how to start a nonprofit and whatnot. Right now, I'm that's too much for me. Sort of, uh, I don't have the courage or confidence or mental health or strength to do that right now, but I'm working on it. Maybe someday I will. But for the meantime, I want to promote these groups and I want more people to donate to them. Often with nonprofits these days, you can donate. And, and with these 10 that I'm steering people towards, you can donate $3 a month, $5 a month, $10 a month. And monthly donations actually help them balance their books easier for the year instead of getting random lump sum donations once in a while. And that's why all these large companies like Spotify and everything else have gone to monthly subscriptions. It just It's a better business model. And uh, yeah, so for people to donate, and if you have no money, share their posts. A lot of them are on social media posting regularly to share their posts, start conversations. Uh, Catherine Hale, she says the biggest thing anyone can do about the environment is to have conversations about it. Even before putting up solar panels and driving an EV, uh, just talk about it. And I'm trying to tell people the same thing for, the, for mental health in developing countries. Talk about it. Get people know, get people aware of these groups helping. People, I mean, how many people today would know where to go to help someone with mental illness in a developing country? How many people even think about that? Think about all the other causes we have here in, in North America, the UK. We've got all these people with, with ailments. Um, they've got mental health issues, all, but a wide, wide range of other things. Well, people in developing countries have all those same things too, all sorts of ailments. You could argue even more than we have. Where are the groups helping them? So it's so mental illness might be a surprise for some people. Oh, yeah, mental illness. I never thought about that. We've been buying goats and drilling wells and building schools for them for decades. But oh yeah, mental illness. Uh, I don't don't think about that much. Or where would I go to help? Well, there's a ton of other issues they've got problems with too, and no one's helping them. Where are all the groups helping them with that stuff? So it's, uh, yeah, I'm trying to expand people's minds. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. And like, this is the thing. I like the way you're doing it because like, this is like, you get quite often in this world of ours, like, yeah, if you're not doing something grand and spectacular, then people like you go, you can't make change in this world. But like the sort of small like bits here and there, look, like, hey, like Andy Dufresne uh, in Shawshank Redemption, like, yeah, little hammer, bit by bit, chipping away. It took years, but like, yeah, he escaped and got his freedom. But little hammer, chip, 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 chip. And I think that sometimes is more of the most effective manner. Because, yeah, your chipping away is one today. That might lead to two tomorrow, three, four, 10, 20, and it grows exponentially. And if you've got everyone chipping away a little bit, yeah, you can turn a mountain into a road in no time at all. Yeah, there's a great book called The Motivation Myth by Jeff Hayden. Mm. And he says, people think, well, I need a lightning bolt of inspiration and a aha moment to say, that's what I'm going to do with my life. And then they barrel on and do this great thing. That sometimes happens, he says, but a lot of the time that bolt of inspiration never comes. And he says, "What? don't wait for the inspiration to take action. Don't wait for the confidence to take action. Don't think, well, I'm not that big a person. I don't have that kind of courage. I couldn't do that. Don't wait for the courage. Take action because all those little actions will slowly build you courage. Mm -hmm. I was scared to phone a website designer to say, can you build a website for me for, for my day? Scared. I was, I was dialing the number, 
picked up the phone. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm doing this. Oh, can I do this? Oh, this is scary. And then I was scared to have the website go online. Oh my gosh, it's going online. <laughs> then I was scared to get on Facebook. I was never on social media before. Oh my gosh, I'm on Facebook. And then, oh my gosh, I'm on YouTube. And, but, you know, after a while, it's like, yeah, I, I, I found a website designer. We're talking about building a website. Yes, my website's online. Online. Yes, I'm on Facebook. Yes, I'm on YouTube. It's not a big deal. You know, you just you just do it. So all those things, I could see my confidence growing from month to month, week to week, year to year as I've been working on this. And your confidence grows. You think, well, if I could do that, what else could I do? So it's all small steps. Some people think, well, you know, I've got to like, jump out of an airplane, you know, sky, go skydiving to have that kind of confidence to do something like that. Well, you don't have to have, you don't have to go skydiving to phone, to phone a website designer or to get on Facebook. <laughs> oh. Go out of your comfort zone, like 1%. Just do something very, very, just slightly, just slightly a little bit out of your comfort zone. You don't, you don't have to be sweating bullets. You don't have to have, you know, a rehab team around you to recover. It's just, it's uh Marnie McBean, the Canadian uh, Canadian Olympic rower, she says, do things that make you comfortably uncomfortable. Just comfortably. Be in your comfort zone. Go 1%. It's, uh, you know, when I phoned a website designer, I wasn't, you know, I, I, you know, I didn't have to be, you know, institutionalized after that, you know. Huh. So your heart, your heart rate goes up slightly. So what? Mm. You know, you can handle that. Your heart rate goes up every day probably just in traffic. <laughs> <laughs> Why aren't we moving? <laughs> <laughs> no, but like, yeah, I agree. Because one of the things I often say, like do 2% better than you did yesterday. And like the whole thing is, yes, you go, right. If you fast forward that by 10 days and you're like, oh, right, 2% better. Yeah. And if you hit that 2% every single time, yeah, your life is 20% better. Just like, yeah, great. But quite often, yeah. It's like 2% one day, 1% the other, like minus two. But it's one of those things. But if you keep on going, keep on going for that 2%, eventually, it, when you look back at it all, you have made a considerable, like significant change to one's life. And like, yeah, for the better. And like, I think people don't often take that approach, you know? Yeah. Danielle Bernock, she's got a podcast and she has an episode called Little is the New Big. And she says, so many people think we have to take massive action and have a huge impact on the world. And right. she says, that's not possible for everybody. She says, why don't you have a little impact? Do do something in your neck of the woods and have a little impact instead of just doing, you know, going home, watching Netflix and calling it a day. And that's all great. I love a good movie. I love Netflix. Love it. We'll keep watching movies. But take a bit more of your time on your own and just pack away at something and, and uh, have fun with it. And uh, don't think, well, you know, I, it's, I can't do that because it's too big for me. Have a little impact. I think that's a great thing to do. I'll go back to Catherine Hayo again. She says um, a man watched her TED Talk on how to just start talking about the environment. And he started having conversations. He said, I made a list of all the people I talked to. Would you like to see it? He met her and he showed her. It's a list of 10,000 people one conversation at a time and his community started having big impacts or not big impacts, but they, he's, their community started changing a lot for the environment. And uh, a lot of it you could argue was because of his one-on-one -on -one conversations with people. 
It's uh, people think, well, I'm not a cheerleader kind of person. I'm a quiet introvert. Well, you can still do stuff as an introvert. It's uh, you can still have one-on-one -on -one conversations. You don't have to be all loud and excited about stuff. You can uh, Jane Goodall. She's a quiet person. She's not a cheerleader kind of person. She she has had a huge impact on on the world, and she does it in a very quiet, understated way. But she just keeps going, and yeah, it's uh, uh, and Jane Goodall says too. People think you know I can't I can't do anything. Who am I to do anything? And they well, Catherine Hale says it's been proven. It, I think it was Catherine Hale, or maybe it was Ellen Kelsey in her book Hope Matters. Uh, she's they they say that it's been well documented that people get apathetic. They think they can't do anything when they are bombarded by negative stories. We're, we've so many people watching. I mean, I watch the news too. But if you watch too much news, with no, uh, you'll you'll be with negative stories. You'll be thinking, well, what can I do? I'm just I'm just this little old me. What can I do about anything? So you don't take action. And they say it's been shown in studies people will become apathetic when they're bombarded by that too many negative stories about X, the environment or whatever. And the way to do that is when you're watching negative stories or watching anything about the environment or mental health or anything in the news, ask yourself these two questions. Is this a positive or negative story to make you more aware of what you're watching? Because a lot of the time we're not aware of how what TV shows we're watching, what songs we're listening to, what, what somebody's telling, talking to us about in a conversation, how that affects us emotionally. What's it, what's it doing to us? We're not often aware of what's going on and how it affects us. Mm -hmm. So start paying attention. Is this a positive or negative story? And the second question is, is there a call to action at the end? Some way I can help. And that way you can start being more, you can monitor more about all the stuff going on and how it affects you and, and how it affects your level of apathy and how capable and, co and competent you think you are. And, and some people think there's nothing I can do. Other people think I can do, I can do something about this here. I'm getting on the phone and calling this. I'm going down to this meeting. I'm, I'm signing this pledge, whatever I'm doing. I'm taking some actions. I'm, I'm doing some stuff. And so, yeah, that's uh that I think is huge. Uh, people, you can do stuff. And, and Jane Goodall says, people think I can't do anything. Young people are apathetic. Old people are apathetic. So many people are apathetic. And, you know, Jane's talking about the environment. But uh, she says, people, she says, it's like a tapestry, a beautiful woven tapestry uh, that you see in a museum. That's what the earth is like and, and what people are like. And if you, and you represent that one little strand, one little strand on the tapestry of life, the planet. But if people become apathetic and you start taking those strands out of the tapestry, pretty soon that tapestry starts to look tattered. She says, "We're all we're all called to do something. All we'll, all in in our communities, all we'll, all we are called to do is help out our community a little bit. That's all we're called to do. Help up, help each other out. Uh, find some food for yourself. Help some other people out." It's all we're called to do. Just to, just help each other in some way. Don't just sit there alone at home, not helping other people out. And we all have gifts. We all have gifts. We're all we all have things we're good at. Try to use those gifts to help other people. No, very true. Very true. I like this is the thing. Like, yeah, I think with, like, I think people do need to be self aware or like 
or like really sort of spend a, like time with themselves to learn who they like truly are, how so they can actually find these gifts, these skills which are unique uh, to themselves, to how they can help make this world a better place look and like this is the thing i think if everyone was like pulling towards just making maybe their community a little bit better like that the knock-on effect it's a community it might be a neighborhood in a city then it knocks onto another neighborhood and like takes over the whole city that turns into a district it turns into like a county and like yeah it can go nationwide and then it can affect the next nation and the next like people people don't like people often don't see what the possibility of a small outcome can be like because like yeah some people will like oh i have a brick i'm gonna lay this down some people go oh it's going to be a wall or it might be a house other people might go, hey, this one brick, it's going to be a cathedral one day. And like, you know, it's just the way of the world. And like, I think where people like yourself, where people like trying to like, not trying, I'm going to say doing the right thing, uh, like bit by bit, day by day, day in, day out, and way to plug the show. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, I think, yeah, like, I don't, I don't know what, the possible end outcome can be because I think it's just the the sheer potential of it being something grand, something special, and making a real difference. It it might not happen in the next five years. It might not happen in the next ten. It might not be even something even me or you will see. But I think that impact is being made bit by bit, slowly but surely. <laughs> Yeah, I read a thing in a book on advocacy, and it was a really, really good quote. And I have to take this, this advice too, even years later. It said, for advocates, it said, could you fight for something, fight for a cause, whatever it is, for the rest of your life and have no impact, no impact whatsoever, but still be happy? Could you do that? Could you believe in something and fight for it, not make any headway, but still be happy? Um, I get disheartened sometimes because I'm not, not having, helping as many people as I, as I could be. And I'm, I have to remind myself of that quote. And I, I'm glad I have that quote to, to remind me because I, I can get disheartened sometimes. Thank you, Matthew. If you, it's just frustrating knowing that people are sick, knowing there's help out there and trying to get it to them. Cause I, and I've been through that. I, I got treatment fairly quickly. And I'm like, if I didn't get that, how would I, I was just desperate for help. I was desperate to save my own life. Mm-hmm. I know there are people out there, millions who are desperate for someone to help them. And I'm trying in my little own way to, to help them. And it's frustrating when you can't get the help, but I'm trying to remember, Matthew, can you do this and not have any impact at all and still be happy because you're trying? Yeah. But uh, this is what I would say to you, Matthew, like, one of the things, okay, one of the things which I know is true, the truest thing, one of the truest things in the world. Look, if you put out something negative in this world, you will get an immediate reaction. Like normally like two or three times what you've put out, which is negative in this world, directly back at you. When you put something positive out in the world, 
when you put something good out in the world, it goes off. And you may never see that sort of positive thing come back to you in any formal way. It might trickle back, maybe a small thing, but generally it goes off in the world and it does its thing. And it has this knock-on effect where it will do its good where it's needed. Uh, there was a TV show back in the day, Lilith Hobo, right? You, Yeah. This yeah. dog going through like the countryside of the United States, like, yeah, every week helping someone. But never went back to the same like family or whatnot. Just went down the road again and again. But that's how, like, yeah, positive things go out. They just go off. Like the Lilith Hobo, just helping people each and every time, but never really sort of coming back. Then one day, who knows? Like, it might, like, he may come back to you, but, yeah. But when you're gone, you're gone, and people are like, you meant this person did this good and that good for me, and, like, you did this, and made such an impact in my life. But, yeah, the positive energy you put out there is like the Lilith Hobo. It goes off and does what it needs to do, making it yeah. 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 You know what? I have no more questions to say. <laughs> I think <laughs> the Lilith Hobo has bound us together <laughs> in that last <laughs> like, positive manner. But like, hey, Mavi, can you tell the people how they can find you out there? How they can like, yeah, meet up with your Lilith Hobo and make the world a better place. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, go to mindaid.ca, M-I-N-D-A-I-D.ca. All my links are there. Uh, my social media channels are there. I'm on YouTube, TikTok, a bunch of other uh, social media channels. I've got uh, a list there of my best mental health tips, a list of books and articles and resources that I've been telling people for years that helped me so much, just sort of general mental health. Uh, I really encourage people to check that out. It's uh that's it's yeah please check that out if you're suffering or know anybody who's suffering and if people want to donate or talk about mental health in developing countries uh, that's yeah please share mind aid um yeah that would be that would really mean a lot to me but more importantly it would mean way 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 more to people who are suffering who are sitting there right now today i wish somebody could help they're sitting there in a lot of pain and thinking, please, somebody help me. Please, somebody help me. Outstanding. Well, do I have, I'll put the, all of this information into the show notes, into the description. So, yes, please find Matthew. Like, please get that help if you need it. Uh, or, yeah, send someone who might need that help his way. And, yes, we'll hopefully get you connected. And, yeah, get you on that road to recovery. Yeah, baby. Uh, Matthew, thank you for coming on today. You have been a, a gen, a scholar. Like, outstanding, fantastic, magnificent. Aha, magnifico. Yeah, and I'd like to say thank you to you, my friends, my life warriors, for coming on today to the podcast and sticking with us to the end. Ah, oh, please stay well, stay safe, be awesome, be excellent, be fantastic. Be all the positive bees you can be in this world and then some. And remember, you are not alone in this life of ours. Peace. Ah, and we are...